0: All right, we're live. Happy Friday, everyone! Today is March 23rd, and this is episode 20, 37 of Get Your Tech On, our show on all things Doxis. I'm Brady Volpe, founder of the Volpe Firm and Nimble This, a technology fan in cable. With us is John Downey the man who built his home's foundation with UBR 10Ks instead of concrete blocks. John is also CMTS technical leader at Cisco Systems. Welcome back, John. Glad to have you with us.
1: It also serves double purposes, heating the house. There's (laughs) enough heat that comes out of this house. Good to be back.
0: Thanks, John. Also with us is Larry Wilcott. He's a man who tamed the Wild West of PNM and is technical leader at Comcast. Larry, so good to have you with us.
2: Thanks, Brady. Thanks, Brady, nice for the introduction and uh, not as exciting as uh, John's, but I'm glad to be here. And uh, 37, by the way, my 37th birthday is coming up, so it's uh, very appropriate that I'm here on the show with you. Totally kidding, not 37. years <laughs> 37, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I, 37. I would have guessed 30,
0: like, 27 maybe but <laughs> <laughs> congratulations.
1: <laughs> so art I had dumbfounded sorry.
0: Yeah, this is this is going to be a, this is going to go down in history here so nice nice theory. Um, so our topic today is spectrum analysis everywhere and best practices for technicians in the field. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's been so much with spectrum analyzers and we've, we've been around for so long. Um, I think we. I just want to start off a little bit with sort of the evolution of spectrum analyzers and a little bit of history on it and kind of cover you know how they got here and how we've been using them. Larry, I'd kind of like to punt this to you and just get some thoughts from you on how you've seen these evolve and what your initial thoughts are on it.
2: Yeah, thanks Brady. So, you know, to me, I'm less about the history of spectrum analyzers. They've been around for a long time and the technology. We'll get to um, cover some of the gory details about how they work and all that. Um, but more so, um, the transformational time for me with spectrum analyzers was when we were able to um, introduce them into the DOCS, DOCSIS specification. And our um, our commodity uh, CPE um, stack now became a remotely controlled spectrum analyzer out in the field. That was the game changer to me, <clears throat> And I remember that was um, not quite 10 years ago, but it was uh, eight or nine years ago, maybe. And I remember uh, one of the silicon vendors, I believe it was Broadcom, did a demo um, of their full-band capture at the time. And um, I was, uh, to me, it was not that religious of a guy, but I had a religious experience at the time. I thought, wow, this is going to be the future of how we measure our our systems and our performance. And lo and behold, um, I'll say here at Comcast, we... uh, We'll get to that later, but um, basically, spectrum analyzers everywhere, and um, the things that people were dreaming about ten or fifteen or twenty years ago is really the reality we're living in today. In terms of tools and capabilities, it's you know really impressive. Um, John, how about you? Yeah, I'm. You know,
1: having the visibility that we do now, uh, we never thought. (laughs) You know, we were talking about upstream spectrum analysis on the CMTS and getting you know, viewing, and I said, man, it'd be great if we had downstream. And then we got full bandwidth capture, I'm like, whoa, now we're, you know, a totally different level of troubleshooting and visibility into what's happening in our cable plan. And then we would sit there and say, well, does that negate the use of test equipment and sweeping? Uh, yes and no. A lot of it's complementary, and you're still going to utilize your return on investment in your test equipment. Um, just having more visibility just helps me troubleshoot so much easier be able to triangulate or target target where these problems are. And then PM on top of that, you know. um, This session that we're having on spectrum analysis is actually kind of timely for me because I'm putting together a a presentation on DOCSIS 3.1 upstream. And when we do OFDMA on the upstream, I don't know about other vendors, but the Cisco CMTS keeps same average power. So if the CMTS wants to see zero dBmV, that's for the entire channel. Now, if you're doing DOCSIS 3.1 channel that's 48 megahertz wide, it's a lot wider than a 6.4 megahertz wide channel. So if you, and I'm not talking power per hertz, I'm talking same average power. So if you take zero dBmV on a spectrum analyzer that says high, when you spread it out this far, it'll look this high. So you have to understand how a spectrum analyzer gives you kind of like an optical illusion because what you're reading is just based on the resolution bandwidth filter not the average power. So with that in mind, I'm coming to the epiphany of my, myself of when I start running wider upstream 3-1 channels, I'm going to get lower MER. I'm going to get, unless I tell the CMTS to jack the levels up just for the 3-1 channels. So I'm coming around full circle on really understanding the cable modem, the CMTS, and what happens when I start doing OFDMA on the upstream. And I want to run higher modulation, afford lower MER. Sorry, I, I, I'm going on a rant here, but uh, it all comes into play with spectrum analysis. It does, and so
2: I'll say it's very timely for me too. I am uh, I'm putting together a um, for our local chapter here, the SCTE Rocky Mountain chapter. Next month, uh, we're having a topic, uh, full uh, crash course, hands-on about spectrum analyzers. So very timely for me as well. Different reasons.
0: So I think it's I think it's a neat thing that's happening. We're we're talking about because spectrum analyzers are now in cable modems. They give us the ability to see all of the RF signals going into just about every subscriber's home, so we can do a lot more effective troubleshooting. But what's kind of unique, you know, all three of us are guys that have been working with spectrum analyzers probably most of our careers. We're actually finding that, you know, as John says, it's like eye-opening, Larry's eye-opening, even me, it's eye-opening. We, as you know, sort of mature people who understand spectrum analyzers, are finding new uses for them. Are learning, John, like you said, about the upstream new new ways or interesting things that we have to kind of relearn about spectrum analysis. There's kind of a challenge for new guys that are coming into the industry who have no background, no experience with spectrum analysis. Is that? I mean, do you agree with me?
2: Totally. Yes. Um, I'll say. You know, at Comcast, uh, they're ubiquitous and everywhere, but that doesn't mean we necessarily fully understand what it all means and how to use it. So uh, there's a lot of work to do, um, but I think that's a great problem to have. Imagine if we couldn't see what we could see today. You know, we can fully analyze with our 3.0 network the the readiness of our OFDM signal that's out there without having 3.1 equipment out in the field. So it's um, you know, if we didn't have that capability now, um, it would be completely um, onerous operationally to go certify a node by driving trucks around and doing sweeps. I mean, to do it the old way uh, would uh, completely blow up the cost. And then we'd have to. You know, I, I couldn't imagine life without it. now. Um, but your, your point is uh, well taken. Um, I, I think it's really incumbent on us, old guys such as we are, to um, to you know, help bring it to the masses and, and improve the underst- level of understanding out there.
0: So that I mean, the, the the basic technology behind spectrum analyzers has also changed. Right? We started off with like a swept type of spectrum analyzer that runs through the whole band, and now we what's in cable modems is what we call an FFT type of spectrum analyzer. So. Uh, is there is there a big difference between these two types of analyzers? Do, I mean, this this technology, the fundamental technology in them? Definitely, John. No. Uh,
2: you're saying definitely comma, John?
1: Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> were, were you calling Brady John? Or you're saying, all right, John, take it away? Commas matter. <laughs> <laughs> when are we going to eat? grandma
0: <laughs> we're going to eat grandma
1: <laughs> commas
2: matter Good. um a question mark john yes
1: <laughs> to elaborate his name is Brady. <laughs> uh uh, i agree it's it's different you know the fft versus an analog front end the big old heavy hp 8591c that could weigh 40 50 pounds lugging it around uh, i really i'm not aware but is maybe you guys know is there any app for a smartphone maybe with an external device to to do this on an app on a smartphone chipset is really small and a cable modem right so uh, why wouldn't there just be like a kind of like the, the QR reader or the swipe you put on a cable on, on a smartphone to you know do credit card transactions? Why isn't there like a little RF input device we can plug into our smartphone? Yeah, um, that's. Funny. And <laughs> do...
2: <laughs> uh, Yeah, you're setting me up here, John.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, don't I don't know if
2: it be, be I sure would be cool. <laughs> Yeah, that would be cool. Okay, um, should we go there? You wanna, let's, uh you mind if I just do a little screen share?
0: That'd be awesome.
2: Okay, let's do it. We're going to show off a little bit. So at Comcast, we have uh, taken advantage of the capabilities within Doxus. I'm going to share this with you all. <clears throat> okay, can you see it?
0: Yep, your screen is okay. up.
2: So this is our, um, our, our technicians meter app. It's the, uh, this is the iPad in my office and it's connected to um, basically a Doxus gateway by Wi-Fi. And, um, and it functions uh, as a um, you know, a field measurement device. So there's full spectrum updating in real time. It's very fast.
0: And this um, is on your iPad? This is on yeah. an iPad we're seeing right now, right?
2: That's right, this is live from my iPad and I'm touching and um, pinching and zooming uh, and it's responding um, the way you would expect an app to work. Uh, and let's do here, I'll do a channel scan. So we have, we'll say we're on outlet number three and we can kind of get a sense. We'll talk a little bit about what this is. Um, but Brady, I'd rather you show your spectrum analyzer. <clears throat> but when this loads up, we'll talk a little bit about what you're looking at.
1: So the technician is on their smart, smartphone, iPad. They're on on someone's Wi-Fi. <laughs> it could be their cell phone, whatever. But they're logging into your system that is then pulling cable modems for full bandwidth capture or pulling the CMTS itself for upstream spectrum analysis.
2: Absolutely, and it's all an app. So it's this whole software world. Okay, so-
1: So if they need to troubleshoot a specific location they're standing at, they could use a cable modem at that location?
2: That's right, or you could use a meter that has a plain old DOCSIS chip and they do exist now. Uh, They've been kind of commoditized. Uh, so what you're looking at now is um, a single channel, uh, the six megahertz uh, occupied spectrum in the upper right-hand corner and the, uh, you know, the qualm the performance um, in the uh, Constellation. <clears throat> and uh, it's pretty neat. Uh, you know, it's funny. When we first um, released this app to, uh, for field trial, I got a call back from uh, one of our uh, 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 VPs from the regions, our divisions. <clears throat> he said, Larry, you won't believe this, but um, I sat down with my iPad, and this was the first time in 13 years that my son ever asked me about my job when he saw me using this app. To do this spectrum analyzer, I thought that was funny. It was like, okay, so um, you know, just because it was put into this modern context of of iPad and app and technology, now all of a sudden that became interesting to this kid. So you know, that's uh, kind of a fun story.
0: Well, it's it's so transformative and so appropriate for the users today, and I mean the age of the of a lot of the techs that are coming into the industry because. This is this is what everyone's using for for email, for gaming, for their jobs, for everything. So it's we all know how to use this, and it's much easier to use than, than a, a lot of things that we're doing. So the, the UI is is awesome on this.
1: Yeah, very. That's right. At downstream constellation, is that readily available from the cable modem?
2: It is. That's right. So um, the, most of this is just plain old DOCSIS spec, which is hilarious except for the constellation, which is um, not. But, you know, if you have the SDK, and, and we do, it's not hard to instrument uh, the um, the API so that it can return the um, INQ values to display. But, um, Brady, I'm gonna stop sharing. I don't wanna steal the show here. Let's uh, get back to the agenda. But John set me up for that.
0: Yeah, that's that's a pretty cool demo, though. <laughs> it's a good question from John.
2: <laughs> yeah, we're really proud of that. 20,000 technicians here at Comcast using that every single day. It's fantastic.
0: Yeah, and so what what I have behind me here is what you would normally see. This is a, an AT2500. It's a, a normal spectrum analyzer, and I can just show kind of a comparison of what you just showed Larry uh, with the spectrum analyzer. I'm just showing a screen view of that that same box that I, I showed behind behind me, but um, that box is a much more expensive piece of hardware. John, as you said, it weighs, uh, I don't know, you know, 10 pounds. or <laughs> And, and it's, it does have a battery, but has a limited battery life. It does, you can log into it remotely, but it requires an Ethernet cable connected to it. And now we're seeing a, um, a full, a spectrum analyzer trace of, you know, kind of similar to what Larry showed on his app. It's just um, a little bit. Different, and you know, we can change. Um, we can change the span on this, so now we can go down to uh, a smaller bandwidth, so we can actually see the qualm channels. Uh, I'll change. You know, something that a lot of people may not understand is something called resolution bandwidth. John, as you had indicated, um, so what resolution bandwidth does is it's it's kind of like a sort of changing the filtering on the front end of the spectrum analyzer. So right now, we have a, a resolution bandwidth of 100 kilohertz, or 1,000 kilohertz, or 1 megahertz. And effectively, that's like having a 1 megahertz filter on the front end of the spectrum analyzer. And that limits the resolution, or or effectively, how how narrow of signals that we can see will see as, as we drop the resolution bandwidth down to 300 kilohertz, kilohertz, that's putting a smaller filter. And as that filter scans across, now you can see we, we're able to see, we have more resolution. We can see more clearly that there is a notch in between these two qualm channels. So this is a, a, a six megahertz qualm channel. If we drop that resolution bandwidth even smaller to 30 kilohertz, now we see there's a lot more, suddenly a lot more noise on this qualm channel, well, so why is there more noise on here when I drop my resolution bandwidth of 30 kilohertz? And again, what we've done is we've put a smaller filter in front of this whole analyzer, so we're now we're able to see the noise. Again, we can drop it to 10 kilohertz and it's gonna get even more noisier. And you notice that the level dropped. So John, this goes back to what you talked about earlier, about how changing the resolution bandwidth changes the the actual power because we're we're narrowing the filter, we're reducing the amount of RF spectrum that we're integrating over, and we're also able to see even more noise in here. One thing I always like to tell you...
1: Yeah. I'll be careful with the term noise. Maybe it's semantics, uh, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's... I it. would just say granularity, uh, the qualm channels, are amplitude modulated, right? Quadrature amplitude modulation. So you're just seeing the amplitude modulation.
0: Correct. This uh, is...
1: let's, not, let's not call it noise, right?
0: Yeah, this is actual data. You're, you're absolutely correct. It's not noise. This is the actual data that we're seeing on top of these qualm channels. And and one thing I, I've uh, often told people that are using spectrum analyzers, we say, well, it's really noisy on top of this qualm channel. It's really difficult to get an accurate measurement on top of this qualm channel. I always tell people, you can turn on averaging in these spectrum analyzers, and when you turn on averaging, now everything calms down, so you can get a more accurate measurement uh, when you're trying to measure the qualm channels. Say if you put a vertical marker also, on there.
1: Also, some people just do heavy video video bandwidth filtering. Yeah, that. So that's a,
0: Yeah, there's a video bandwidth no filter that does a, a similar thing there. So if we if we turn off averaging or, or go back on the, the peak there, uh, we can. Put on the video bandwidth filtering it doesn't do quite the same job as video averaging maybe with a little less resolution bandwidth we'll see it but uh, averaging does normally a a better job.
2: Yeah I see a lot of um, misunderstanding about resolution bandwidth that's a great point John and we have to answer those questions a lot in the field And what it really means is um, if you if you look up really close at the signal um, and it's a bin and there's basically um, a chunk of of spectrum um, a, a bandwidth and then all of the power that's summed within that band. So if you're looking at 300 kilohertz resolution bandwidth, you have a 300 kilohertz chunk of spectrum, and it's summing all of the power and putting it into a single bin. And the smaller that slice of spectrum is, the more resolution you have, and the closer resolution you get to the symbol, the more you see the actual signal vector. So it's, it looks like noise, but it's just um, uh, that's what the signal looks like. But on a wider uh, resolution bandwidth we get a quantization effect that essentially averages you know, several of the vectors and puts them um, you know makes them look a little smoother so um, that's kind of the effect of resolution bandwidth um, versus that noisy look um, we, we get that all the time and the other thing that's really really important and often misunderstood is <clears throat> the power levels when you're when you're looking at the power level re- um, in in raw spectrum um, and it's not uh, let me rephrase that. We're used to seeing power levels measured in a, for a six megahertz channel, and um, that's not the same as the, the actual power per bin. So the little slice of three hundred kilohertz, that's the power of that within that little chunk of three kilo, kilohertz. Uh, th- sorry, three hundred. Whereas if you're looking at the power level of a DOCSIS channel, that's all of those three hundred kilohertz bins summed together within the channel. That's the total channel power. Um, and, you know, and guys will look at a, uh, folks will look at a spectrum analyzer and see a very different power measurement, um, you know, in DBMV, um, relative to what they're used to seeing in, for example, their tools that show them doxis power levels and not understand that. And so, uh, we get that all the time.
0: Yeah, and there's, there is a lot of literature out there that, and, or, and now actually you just Google it, that tells you how you can do the conversion um, from one resolution bandwidth to another or from, say, one DOCSIS channel bandwidth. If you are working in a 6 megahertz world and now you start going into an OFDM world where the bandwidth is much larger, it's, it's, a, it's an easy way to mathematically convert from, say, 6 megahertz to 96 megahertz. It's, it's using a log ratio to do this, but the math is pretty simple to do using a calculator. And so you, you can Google these formulas to do that conversion.
2: Yeah, great point. But before you can even Google that, you have to understand why. And a lot of folks just don't, um, you know, don't understand. They were trained that uh, power is channel power, not spectral power or resolution power. You know. um, so it usually takes a little bit of education. And But people, once they, they, uh, they figure it out, it, um, I think it helps uh, normalize how they think about spectrum analyzers.
0: But I think that the, the important takeaway is anytime someone gives you a measurement from a spectrum analyzer, always ask, hey, what's the resolution bandwidth that that measurement was made in? Because that's it's very important to understand that.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're worried about accurate levels, then you definitely have to take that into account. If you're just looking at a spectrum analyzer, to two-get carrier-to-noise ratio, it's just a peak-to-peak measurement. Uh, looking at a single-carrier qualm versus a, um, an old analog channel, Basically, if it's 6 dB, uh, that might not be accurate because the spectrum analyzer will show all the power under the video carrier at you know, the video carrier frequency of an analog channel because the video is, is amplitude modulated. It doesn't have you know, a lot of width. It's um, very narrow. But the qualm, yeah, and the qualm, you have to use the correction factor, 10 times a log of 6 divided by 0.3. <laughs> so whatever power reading I got for 300 kilohertz, you add 10 times a log of 6 divided by 0.3. Some people might say 5.4 divided by 0.3 because that's a symbol rate, you know, versus the channel width of a – it's pretty close. But either way, usually you use test equipment to do accurate level measurements, not really a spectrum analyzer. What I wanted to ask Larry is, and I see this, is how quick can a cable modem report fast rise time noise? Yeah,
2: a great question. And I think on our agenda is to talk about let's. I'm um, really, really, I mean, we love the ability to use um, uh, CPE spectrum analyzers, but they do have shortcomings. They aren't the same. These things are $25,000 for a reason. Um, and one of the limitations is speed. And while it does look pretty quick when you're seeing an update on my screen, it does not, um, you know, necessarily well, it doesn't even compete with like an AT2500 RQ, for example. Um, You know, fast rise time, um, burst noise, sometimes you can't even see it, and you have to rely on the demodulators, uh, you know, coding. Uh, The good news is we have two other tools to help us see it, and uh, the days of staring at a spectrum analyzer to interpret are becoming part of the past. And then if you look at, uh, you know, I won't bring it up now, but um, most of the tools, while you do have a spectrum view, all of the material statistics are also there overlaid so that in real time you can see the MER, you can see the code root performance, you can see the uncorrectable error rates, you can see you know, the you know, LDPC statistics and all that stuff that you care about um, in real time so that you don't have to visually say, oh, whoa, I saw that burst, I know what it is now. Um, so there's other ways to get around that. But fair enough, um, they're, uh, they're not as fast. That's, um, their day job is to demod, and they do that real good and deliver great service over DOCSIS. Um, but we're just getting this um, spectrum analyzer business as a side effect, and we're still happy with it.
1: Yeah, I agree. The spectrum analyzer itself is one tool in the <laughs> toolkit, right? And I've always said you never rely on a spectrum analyzer for the gospel of the whole thing. You look at per modem, MER, per modem, correctable and correctable effect, per upstream correctable and correctable effect um, because the spectrum analyzer frequency versus amplitude, you're not going to see group delay. You might see micro-reflections you know, in a standing wave but you're not going to see issues. Um, I've even said told people you've got a perfectly clean plant. Herodon noise is great. Spectrum analyzer looks great but maybe the modem's timing is bad tools to look at, the flat list, uh, MER, uncorrectable effect. You know, if I notice uncorrectable effect is incrementing more than correctable, I usually point towards impulse noise. Because if it was additive white Gaussian noise, then correctable effect would increment as well. That's right. And you'll see that reflected in MER. Um, you know, be fairly consistent.
2: Um, so uh, you're right, all, all uh, great tools. Um, Brady, what other limitations would you say that uh, using commodity spectrum analyzers might have against traditional stuff?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the, the biggest thing we see right now for, for a lot of them is they're, they're not quite as fast, so we do miss impulse noise, and depending on the make and model of the cable modem, some of them don't have quite the same dynamic range as what you'd get with a spectrum analyzer. So you, you miss out, you know, you're not going to be able to measure your composite triple beat or your, your CSO or CCNR if, the, if it's all quant plant. You know, meaning you're not going to be able to see as low in your noise floor. But again, we're not trying to look at some of those those type of impairments with a cable modem. We're not trying to do the the same level of measurements with a cable modem. we're We're looking for more coarse measurements like is there a big suckout in the plant or is there a big standing wave on the plant that's going to cause the subscriber to not be able to demodulate? a channel, to actually not be able to see a channel, or is, you know, this would explain why they're getting pixelization or macro blocking on one of their channels and call in and complain and eventually result in a truck being rolled to that subscriber's home.
2: Yeah, great point. Brady, would you mind bringing up your spectrum analyzer and um, explaining to everybody what um, the dynamic range means and the sensitivity?
0: Sure, I can, let me just share that again. you want the AT2500 brought back up, right?
2: Sure, yeah. yeah. That's a, a great point and uh, something we should probably just touch on.
0: So if that, I think that should be shared now. So um, what dynamic range is, uh, starting off with that, would basically be an indicator from... Uh, are you able to see my mouse moving on here? Yeah. So dynamic range would be, say, the... Uh, the ability to tell you that the the peak of this, this is an an analog, uh, this is probably a, a pilot tone here uh, either for an AGC, an analog gain control and an amplifier or just a reference tone here. But it would tell us like the dynamic range is what the delta is from the top of this pilot tone to the noise floor. And right here we have 10, 20, 30, 40, almost 55 dB of dynamic range. Um, So uh, depending on the cable modem, you may have 55 dB of dynamic range. Now this spectrum analyzer is capable of much, much more than even 55 dB of dynamic range. It can go much higher than that. Uh, Depending on the cable modem, we may not see that. I can pull up a a cable modem here and give kind of an example uh, for... We'll look at what we see from a cable modem. Here's a a suck out. just pull a suck out here. So on a cable modem here, we're seeing like a, uh, and this is a live response from a cable modem, a full band capture cable modem. We can see the noise floor here. We're seeing 10, 20, 30, 40. So we're getting just about 45 dB. That's the maximum that we can see on this cable modem of dynamic range, meaning the, the peak of what we see on the qualm carrier here to the noise floor is 45 dB. That's the maximum delta from dynamic range. Comparing that back to the sunrise here, we're getting 10, 20, 30, 40, 55 on this. Um, but, again, as I said, this AT2500 can do much, much more than, than that. But the best we're going to get on this cable modem is about 55. So is that and the spectrum
1: analysis, the internal amp as well, right?
0: The yeah. It, <coughs> it, yeah.
1: Yeah. <this, laughs>
0: This spectrum analyzer has an internal amp right now. We have the attenuation set to zero I have fairly low signal levels coming in because I'm do, in my lab I'm, I'm splitting the signal multiple ways to feed other devices So it it's capable of way more than what we're currently showing So that's that's <laughs> on dynamic range You know uh- One,
1: you're trying to say, well, what is the limitation of, say, a commodity device like a cable motor with spectrum analyzer versus, you know, a higher price spectrum analyzer? What about the other way around? You know, a spectrum analyzer just shows, say here, amplitude versus frequency. In in this screen, uh, the downstream is always on. What if you have two downstreams overlapping? You can't really see it on a spectrum analyzer. On the cable motor side, you could do ingress under the carrier. If, that, if, if there is a feature like that, I know some test equipment have that feature, ingress on the carrier. Um, but like Larry mentioned, you could look at correctable, correctable. effect. MER would be really bad. Um, but from a typical spectrum analyzer, you might just see amplitude and it looks fine. Yeah. If they're both the same level, well, it might add in phase at 3 dB.
0: And, and the benefit is with, a you know, the $35 cable modem that's sitting in the subscriber's home 24-7, what we're showing here is that we're able to see that there's both a, you know, there's a standing wave and there's a little bit of a suck-out on this cable modem. It would be prohibitively, it would be expensive to run around to every single subscriber's home with a, an AT2500 and look for this type of signature, whereas with a an inexpensive cable modem and the full-band capture capability, we can identify these things just by running a background process 24 hours a day, so that's, that's kind of the cool functionality with a, a cable modem, so there's pros and cons of both.
2: That's right, um, should we talk a little bit about the techniques for seeing ingress under the carrier and error vector spectrum and things like that? Is that, worth or is it a little too uh, technical?
0: Um, I think there's benefits to it because, uh, I mean, there's there's reasons. So like with this, I, the spectrum analyzer that I was showing, um, it's really hard to know if there's an impairment under that qualm channel. So it, with a cable modem, being able to know that there's an impairment under a QAM channel, there's some value to that.
2: Indeed there is, <laughs> So uh, it's, uh, first, uh, before I go off topic from the spectrum, um, your example of your Spectra tool, that's a great name, by the way. I love that.
0: Um, yeah, I, I know the guy that came up with that. So he was a very smart name. individual. He reminds me of
2: a superhero. Um, so <laughs> the, um, the, the thing that we see at Comcast, and this has um, generally been you know pretty anecdotal out in the field, but it's true, is you see a lot of things happen due to the environmental influence on the network, right? So the sun hits the plant, it gets cold, it rains, it snows, the wind blows. These are the things that change the physical properties of our network, in particular, the impedance characteristics. And um, and what we'll see is um, literally five times a day, we'll see a, a suck out or a notch or a standing wave come and go as it's responding to the environment. And now, I mean, even if you did have a really rigorous uh, a preventative maintenance program and you drove trucks around on a schedule once a month, you would never catch these things. It'd be impossible because you don't have the the measurement resolution of being there at the right time in the right place um, in the network. And we can see those today. We can correlate them. We're using machine learning and AI to predict weather patterns, for example. Um, and um, a lot of times there are certain things, uh, suck are a great example, where we can predict along with the weather what's, when customers are going to lose service and why. And so now we can prioritize um, proactively repairing the plants um, so that, you know, before the thing that causes this suck-out or otherwise spectrum anomaly to, to impact these customers, we can address that um, proactively. So um, so that's exciting. Um, but back to the uh, to seeing uh, the interference under the carrier, there's a couple of techniques to, to do that, um, and there's, um, you know, uh, uh, lots of clever ways. And, um, you know, the easiest by far is just to look at, use the demodulators um, if you have them available. For example in DOCSIS channels you do. um, So you can use the demodulators to tell you the the code word statistics or the MER and you'll get a pretty good sense about what's going on there. You can do uh, carrier to interference noise ratio um, calculations and things like that and we uh, have a lot of success at Comcast doing that. But the dilemma is when you're in a place in spectrum that you don't have a tuner available to you, right? So um, the, uh, the spectrum capture um, doesn't have the capability of giving you an MER value. The tuners do that. And your tuners are fully occupied um, having their doxus lock. Um, so um, there are some techniques uh, for um, mathematically removing the intended spectrum um, and then leaving on the spectrum that's there, but they just don't have, um, you know, they have limited uh, effect and capabilities. Um, would you guys like to talk a little bit about what you know in that space?
0: So, John, yeah, you have any background on that, or you want me to? <laughs>
1: I want you. I want you to tackle it first.
0: Okay. So, um, on the full band capture side, for uh, now I lost my place, John. <laughs> Larry, you're you're we're doing ingress under qualm still.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, ingress under qualm. We were just talking about that a little bit. Um, it,
0: yes. Right. So I'm I'm just blanking.
2: <laughs> all right, I got it. So no, that's fine. So basically, if you have a demodulator there, it's pretty easy. And if you don't, you're going to have limited success. But you can. Um, there's some math tricks you can do. That, um, for example, if you've taken um, a reference of the spectrum you know, at the node, then you can you know um, flatten the spectrum out and you can um, mathematically remove what you think should be there. And in some cases, in particular, in between the qualms, you can see some hints. Um, it's just, it works okay, but not great. Um, the place that does work really good is if you've got a demodulator that's uh, giving you statistics. And one um, technique that I've seen in um, at least one of the vendors, if not more, they call it um, error vector spectrum. <clears throat> they basically use the, the forward equalizers, Uh, with the averaging turned off so that it allows them to get the characteristic of the channel um, reacting to the interference within the channel. Um, So instead of uh, when you have averaging turned on in the downstream equalizer it does a great um, job at characterizing the channel Um, so flatness and notches and things like that. If you turn off averaging it allows the equalizer to respond um, to the interference within the channel and you can use that as the error vector to mathematically remove the known signal and show you the noise underneath it. So this it's is
0: awesome. just, this is doing the, uh, using the post equalizer in the cable modem and right. and looking at the post equalizer, kind of in a similar way to what we do with the pre equalizer in the upstream. Mm-hmm. But we, we take the coefficients from the post equalizer and extract the in channel frequency response that that's thriving mm-hmm. and then underlay that um, underneath the the uh, the qualm channel. The post equalizer response is giving us basically what how the post equalizer is working to correct for the impairments that are that it's seeing, from the uh, uh, that is correcting for when the cable modem is demodulating the qualm channel, and those those coefficients from the post equalizer are then showing us basically the the garbage that's underneath there.
2: Exactly, exactly, and the forward equalizers, the blind uh, forward equalizers, and the downstream tuners are very different than than the adaptive pre-equalizers. They're very fast, they react, uh, respond quickly, and if you turn off averaging, uh, you can can see a pretty good picture of what the noise signature looks like.
0: Right. There's also, um, in the post-equalizer, a number of equalization blocks that are in there for correcting or actually removing um, some of the if you get like uh, coherent interferes underneath a qualm channel. So you can extract that data as well to identify any coherent interferes. Like if you get a single tone or some small tones underneath there. So those can also be used to say, hey, I've got some uh, individual singular tones that are underneath, like if you had, a, pagers aren't that <laughs> are around that much anymore, but uh, if you had like a, a, um, uh, a, a airplane uh, transmitting, that gets in, or a some other type of tower that's transmitting to airplanes, something like that, in the four hundred megahertz band, LTE in the seven, six or seven hundred megahertz band. Those will those will those can be utilized to identify specific frequencies that are under a qualm channel as well.
2: Yeah, great point, Brady.
0: So, yeah, absolutely, very good point to bring up, Larry. That. Things that a normal spectrum analyzer, like we talked about the swept response spectrum analyzer, would absolutely absolutely, be invisible to, we can use these post-equalization uh, capabilities to be able to identify. I, I think something I want to throw back at you is one of the challenges we've had is a lot of cable modems we're not able to get the post-equalizer response to because the MIBs haven't been standardized on.
2: Oh, you're such a rascal, Brady. You setting me up. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about that. That's and in, in part. Uh, I'm glad you said that because um, that's been one of these uh, adventures we've been on for many years. Is stand, like we standardized um, with P and M to get the adaptive equalizers all sorted out. We're doing the same thing right now um, with uh, cable apps to do it. We've uh, got approved a downstream EC. Uh, sorry, a, um, an EC to standardize um, the downstream. Uh, equalizer uh, coefficients. We also have a, uh, an SCTE and a network operations subcommittee number seven for proactive network maintenance. Um, we're putting together a, uh, a whole application notes on how this all works um, so folks can implement them, whether it be in your OSS tools, um, within your operations, or if you're a, a tool vendor, if you want to add that kind of a capability to um, to your tools if you don't already have them. Um, kind of a standards-based way to do that, so that we can all see and say the same things about what's happening in the channel.
0: Yeah, and I, I want to commend you on that, Larry, because you you've really been driving that initiative on getting the, the post equalizer taps in the cable modem uh, standardized, and and also all your work on the SCTE and, and with cable labs. So thank you very much, on really on behalf of the whole industry for for driving these initiatives.
2: Oh, you're such a smoothie. Thank you, Bria. It's nice of you. Um, I'll say uh, I am really excited about um, some of those developments. In particular, um, there's been some FCC changes. Uh, it's a little arcane; a lot of people don't really know about. But um, you know, we could potentially use these capabilities to do, you know, SCTE Schedule 40 um, proof of performance, for example. And I'm all about automation and um, and uh, taking advantage of the tools and technology to improve how we do business. So
0: how does how do you see that impacting the field operations like I mean you from an especially from a you know an FCC standpoint when we have to start rolling this out because from all the things that we can automate does this does this change how we can the efficiencies in the field
2: Yeah it does and we've um, actually been able to accommodate that within you know some of the FCC guidelines and it's not uh, Um, the way we do proof of performance in the future um, could very well change because of this kind of work so that we could, you know, basically do an end of line at at the end of every line analysis uh, dump of using the forward, um, you know, equalizer coefficients, and just produce a report anytime, any day um, that uh, that would uh, clearly satisfy, you know, proof of performance for certain aspects of schedule 40. So we're pretty excited about that. And that's, you know, operationally, you know, um, we would much rather have our technicians driving around taking care of our customers, you know, than, um, you know, if, if we know we're good, uh, than, than having, you know, take measurements to satisfy a report.
0: So John, last time we talked a lot about orchestration. Do you see this type of um, testing actually moving into equipment um, that, you know, say, you guys make that we can start you know even expanding the scope of what we're doing so from that standpoint
1: you know I didn't really think about the FCC side you know the FCC spec was always based on analog channels Then we went to digital and some of it didn't really coincide with digital channels the only thing that really was relevant was leakage you know RF is RF I don't care if it's analog or digital right it's leakage so um, Larry, going back to you, um, I imagine that, you know, FCC, Ron Rannick is involved a lot. Also, uh, there are specs for sort of quality of service, quality of experience, uh, end of line, digital levels now and stuff like that. Uh, they are much more robust than the old analog used to be. Uh, it's either on or it's not, right? <laughs> it's either tiling video or it's not. Um, but we could use this, uh, an SDN orchestration app to do any of the RF stuff, but what about for leakage? You know, is there anything uh, in regards to leakage that we could correlate with cable modem responses? I mean, you can obviously find micro reflections, group delay options. Uh, I think that's one of the ones that we're definitely not going to replace because we still have to do a flyover or something
2: like that. Yeah, a yeah. great, great point and topic. So, um, th- there, are, there's this thing called antenna reciprocity, and I uh, um, spent a lot of time with Ron on this, and we've done a bunch of field trials and um, demonstrated it all works. Basically, it's um, it's a, uh, it, um, it states that um, the the uh, the game and radiation pattern of an antenna. Is the same on transmit as it is received. And, and that's a little bit obscure to talk about, but the reason we care about that is um, basically, if you have signal getting out at exactly the same gain in antenna and uh, um, uh, radiation pattern, you have signal getting in. So, um, one technique that we're using here um, that's very, very effective for, um, you know, think about it as reverse leak detection, is using FM band ingress detection. And because FM and aeronautical band are so close in spectrum, you know, it's only 10 or 20 megahertz away, um, they tend to correlate very highly. It's in the 90 percentile from, you know, what we've seen. Um, Generally, um, when we use these spectrum analyzers and with this ubiquitous, you know, FM transmitters just about everywhere, unless you're away the heck out in the country someplace, and even then you still may have some, um, wherever we can see FM ingress getting in at the CPE, very, very strong likelihood that um, that you have signal getting out um, at the same place uh, within the aeronautical band. So we've been able to take advantage of that proactively, but that doesn't change the state of affairs with the FCC um, wanting to know what's getting out. Um, uh, just because we don't necessarily have, you know, CP and cable modems that have spectrum analyzers everywhere on our plant where we could detect um, um, ingress by using, or sorry, egress by using ingress. Uh, so you know, it's, it's very helpful to us operationally, um, but it doesn't satisfy any FCC
1: requirements, unfortunately. And what if, what if your CPE goes to 85 megahertz upstream? I'm sorry, say so, so what if your CPE goes to 85 megahertz upstream, which I know Comcast is doing uh, in some cases. So your cutoff is like 102 or 105 on the, on the cable modem itself? So you might be able to pick up, what,
2: FM from 105 to 108? <laughs> right? Because the FM now will be in the no-man's land of the diaplex filter. Yeah, no-man's land is a good way to put it. No, that's true. Um, it's true, and uh, we uh, – that said, we still at Comcast, and I'll uh, jump ahead a little bit just because the clock is ticking. The last time I checked, I think there's 36 million spectrum analyzers on Comcast footprint. So sure. if you think about that, um, very, very few of those are are – you know, mid-split or, uh, or operating in that kind of a configuration. So I'm going to get a lot of mileage out of those 36 million spectrum analyzers out in the field.
0: Yeah, so that's that, that's interesting numbers and, and we're seeing a, about 50 majority of our customers just within I would say the last year are went from very small percentage to getting close to 50% or more of their cable modems are supporting full band capture capability, and a big, a big feature that came in, or I guess a big capability that 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 made that happen was um, one of the vendors, one of the the major vendors out there released a, a firmware upgrade actually quite some time ago, which I think, Larry, you were also quite instrumental in, that made their modems support, a lot of their legacy modems support full-band capture in their DOCSIS 3 modems. And that was a huge, huge benefit to
2: everybody. That's right. So I'll say that one, one particular firmware, I remember that distinctly. They turned that on and it was 8.5 million devices showed up overnight with that firmware release. And needless to say, you know, think about it from the vendor's perspective. You know, you're really focused on your new products and we've already sunk the investment on and made the purchase on these. So it wasn't a real treat for them to go back and spend a bunch of time and energy and money adding new features that weren't product related or didn't add to, you know, additional revenue. Um, So I'm really thankful for a partnership with our vendors and uh, CPE teams to, to value that operationally. And I'll say... It is paid back in spades um, every single day um, from the capabilities it brings to our operations folks out in the field. We're very grateful for that.
0: Yeah, it's it's hugely, hugely beneficial. So really appreciative to the vendor. <laughs> I assume
1: that it's only eight. eight hundred.
0: You broke up there,
1: John. Oh um, I I assume that's that full bandwidth capture is only possible in modems that have greater than eight channel downstream capabilities. You're probably talking gateways, 24 downstream, no, 16 downstream. Um,
2: it depends on the on the vendor and the combination of silicon that they use. So I'll say um, I have like our, our field meter here is really just a four by eight, uh, um, a Puma five of all things, a very old um, chip. But the magic is in the tuner, not the doxus chip itself. So, um, it, but it depends, and there's other um, vendors have uh, fully integrated solutions where the whole SoC is, you know, basically. Uh, yeah, so there's various permutations of capabilities out there. Um, and, and, yeah. The good news is almost everything you buy now has it. Oh, I don't sorry. think you'd be hard-pressed to buy a Doxis device that doesn't support spectrum capture.
0: Yeah, and every three 3.1 modem will support it as well.
2: Yes, maybe a good segue, we should move on to 3.1 and the new world of p m and spectrum analysis.
0: Yes, absolutely. So I think uh, you know what I've seen with with 3.1 modems. They still support the old SNMP query, but you get if you use the TFTP Trivial File Transfer Protocol to get back the full band captured data, it comes back so much faster, and then you process it from there. Um, also, the dynamic range seems to be. So I mentioned the dynamic range earlier. The dynamic range seems to be dramatically improved in DOCSIS 3.1 modems. Everything seems to be a little bit better in 3.1 modems.
2: I would agree and um, so in addition to the dynamic range and the performance you know and this is all basically lessons learned from from what we did in you know PNM 2.0 and 3.0 such as we'll call it <clears throat> you know um, the, I think to me the real secret sauce and the most exciting thing about the 3.1 is that we're also able to get Q out versus amplitude only data. We get you know, the constellation. Yes so we actually get the, the true signal vector um, uh, out of the equipment, instead of uh, you know basically the vector sum or the um, the uh, the magnitude only data um, that we see on a spectrum analyzer, and the reason that's important is once you get this true signal vector, that's where the magic happens in the digital signal processing. So you can do um, complex um, division and multiplication and uh, convolutions and all of this great stuff um, like uh, uh, calculating. Um, noise under the carrier, for example, and all of the error vectors, um, the the possibilities are so much more um, uh, interesting than magnitude-only spectrum data. That's what I'm most excited about.
1: So the constellation itself is like almost meaningless anymore, right? Who really looks at a constellation and says, oh, yeah, that looks good. (laughs) So (laughs) dense now with 1K QAM, 4K QAM, you know, I used to look at a constellation, 64 qualm, it's easy to look at. You look if it's symmetrical, nice and square. And then you look at each individual quadrant, and you look to make sure all the bits are falling where they should. But I see your point is, you're getting the information that would make a constellation. Even though the constellation itself, most people wouldn't know what to do with it. But the information itself, you could run uh, complex mathematics to figure out other information like ingress into the carrier or or things of
2: that nature. Absolutely. Staring at a constellation to me is not that interesting, like you said. You know, looking at like phase shifts and those donut patterns or whatever, uh, not interesting at all. But the magic of automating that using um, digital signal processing once we have uh, uh, in-phase and quadrature information is a uh, game changer to us. So one of the key features, uh, we spend a lot of time chasing upstream noise in, in our cable systems. You know, I hear figures of 85% or more is basically you know, chasing upstream noise. And, um, and one of the key features we've embedded in the 3.1 specification for proactive network maintenance <clears throat> is the ability to capture um, a symbol at the cable modem and the, and the symbol at the CMTS at exactly the same time. And the reason that we really like that is because now it's not just... You know The spectrum data where you have to look at it, go out and start pulling pads and disconnecting drops to, to figure out where it's coming from, you can use math to basically um, deintegrate the signal and see what, what, what the noise signature is coming out of every single house. And that, to me, is kind of the holy grail for operational efficiency and improving how we do stuff in cable.
0: Yeah, so basically once that capability is finalized in both the CMTS and the cable modems, we should have the ability to pinpoint exactly what house is having a problem or is, is the source of noise and go to that house, fix the noise, and say, job done.
1: Wow, that's big. You know, I, I, when we um, talked about the spectrum analysis capability in the modem itself, The only we could do the same thing, but you had to pull every single modem to find out where the noise was coming from. You're talking about being even more proactive, and the CMTS has that information already. Um, So even if the, well, you're talking about DOCSIS 3.1 modem specifically, right? Uh, So I see it twofold, right? There should be an upstream spectrum analysis capability at the modem itself and what you're talking about, right, Larry? which is
2: different from that. Yeah, that, it's all of that, um, the short answer. Um, but, you know, the real trouble with all of this stuff is that um, when you're talking about 3.1 only, and we're coexisting with 3.0 modems, and we will be for a long, long time, you know, unless you happen to have a that capability in the place where the noise is getting in, you're not going to find it. So we're still going to be doing things the old way for a long time until we're fully transitioned and have this capability, you know, more... Uh, you, know, you know, it's too sparse right now. It'll, it'll be years before it's really, really effective, but uh, it's, it's taking us in the right direction.
0: Yeah, it's a migration.
2: So, so just a few
0: minutes left. Um, any thoughts on full duplex? Well, you we kind of jump into three one to full duplex, but how does full duplex play into this? Will we be able to use spectrum analysis to look at full duplex signals?
2: Yes, you will. Good question, Brady. But things get so much, um, uh, some things get easier and some things get just a heck of a lot harder. And if you think about the way full duplex works, um, you know, one of the um, biggest challenges we have with spectrum analysis um, right now is um, maintaining, you know, reasonable power levels at the input of the front end. Um, It's really easy to clip um, clip or saturate the front end of these, um, these you know, fairly simple and low-cost devices that, you know, they don't have all the filtering and, um, and goodness that you would in an expensive piece of equipment. And I'm not exactly sure how we're going to do that with full duplex because of the way that it works. Um, you know, so uh, it remains to be seen.
1: Yeah. I think we well, I have full duplex set up right now in my lab in RTP and we're looking at it right now and I hooked up an old 8591C spectrum analyzer. and You definitely see the downstream because it's always on, but when the upstream is transmitting, I can't see it because underneath the downstream signal. You know, that's the whole point of the echo cancellation is to make the cable modems and the node and everything else work properly so it can decode. But now I need a spectrum analyzer with echo cancellation. You know, <laughs> how, how do I separate that signal and downstream and upstream? It's at the same exact frequency. So yeah, it can, uh, it's, it's more large. You know, other thing I wanted to point out with one, and I, I think I've done the math incorrectly years ago. Um, replacing a 3.0 modem with a 3.1 modem. How much gain or level do you gain from that? And it's actually more than I originally thought. It's like 8 dB. If I'm doing four-channel upstream bonding, 64 qualm with Toxus 3.0, the max output is 51 per channel. Power on that, that'd be 51.6 is 57 dBmV. Well, if I do a 3.1 modem, it's max output, but total power is 65. So technically, if I were to do an uh, apples-to-apples comparison, and you put a one modem in the location, it can overcome a lot more loss than the 3.0 modem could. Now, granted, you have to allocate that power for maybe more spectrum when you turn it on. That's part of the key, Right. Uh, Once I go from four channel upstream bonding to 16 equivalent of 16 channels, you know, OFDMA, (laughs) because I might be doing 100 megahertz upstream, but the power is there. So the good news is I was always concerned that when I went 204 megahertz and FDX, how are we going to deal with the upstream level issue? We're already maxed out with DOCSIS 3.0. So if I start going, you know, from 42 megahertz to 85 to 204 megahertz, I either have to get rid of all my coax and go deeper fiber with a remote buy, or i got to figure out how to have some type of extra gain. Well, one, the cable modems do have a little bit more power. Two, I am getting coax a little bit less. I'm going fiber deeper. Um, but I, So I have some band-aids and fixes so I can overcome some of that loss. And then hopefully the temperature fluctuation at 204 with less coax, it might be a couple dB. So I do have some wiggle room by my CMTS. That's
2: my soapbox. Well said. Well said, John.
0: So three, one modems go to 11 then. That's a, uh, you guys. The full story. Come back at
1: 11. (laughs) Yes.
0: All right, guys. So we are at the top of the hour. We could, I think keep talking on this on and on and on, but John and Larry, I want to thank you so much for your time today. This was a great episode. Um, uh, Any closing thoughts you want to have? Otherwise, we're going to wrap it up. All right. So our next episode is going to be on MacFi. It's going to be with Jeff Finkelstein of Cox Communications in a month. Uh, We do our best to bring our audience great technical content every month. You can watch us on air, catch our live recorded episodes on YouTube, on VolpeFirm.com slash events, or download our audio-only version with your favorite podcaster. If you've enjoyed this webcast, please do hit the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. Thanks so much for being here, and we'll see you next month. John and Larry, thank you so much for your time. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks, Brady. bye now. It's a pleasure. Good talk.